0: It's Tuesday, February 7th, the year 2017. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today in our interview segment, we'll be talking to Tom Hoops to talk about his book, What Pope Francis Really Said, Words of Comfort and Challenge. Uh, We pre-recorded that segment, so we won't be able to take any phone calls during that part of the show but this part of the show is live so feel free to call in if you have something to talk about as far as what's going on in your parish community the number is 85 love red sea that's 855-683-7332 and you are listening to us on 88.5 fm in Hearn Bryan college station and in central texas on kyar 98.3 fm
1: Lorena Waco. Dennis, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Deacon Mike. How are you? Wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a great time. And I, I've had someone recently tell me, uh, I've been using the word crazy a lot lately. So things have been, as, as Susan, our wonderful volunteer, if she's listening, uh, things have been wonderfully active.
0: I, I, I like that much better than crazy, although crazy probably is an apt description for the things that uh, the way things have been going.
1: It's been wonderfully active. Let's just say that, but it's it's ramping up so fast in Waco and we're so excited. We've got our station director Stephanie Lee there. She's already planning a benefit dinner coming up. We're planning lots of parish presentations to get the word out. Um, just lots of, lots of great things that are happening there as well as here. So uh, Thaddeus Romanski, our station director and general manager here has done a great job of taking the ball and, and, and really adopting this station as his own to run it here. And so gives us time to focus on central Texas, get things established there before you know it, here comes East Texas.
0: Well, I know what a blessing this station has been to our community, and I can only pray that it will serve as the same sort of blessing in Central Texas uh, once people become aware of it. And that, I think, is the most difficult part is getting people to know we're out there.
1: Right. And and so sorry about that. We uh, are having a bulletin board go up on I-35 here in the next month or so. Uh, we're going to share a bulletin board space there. So I think they're going to get the word pretty pretty quickly if they don't know it already.
0: I was listening to uh, Father Rocky earlier, and he was talking about if you rent a car, you know, change all the radio settings in the car to <laughs> your local Catholic radio stations. So if you're I'm, renting a car in Central Texas, that's
1: 98.3, just preset those settings. And- we, we actually had the chance to rent multiple cars because of a vehicle accident a year ago. And I actually kind of felt guilty because I did that but now I don't feel guilty anymore. Thanks, exactly. Father Rocky.
0: <laughs> Father Rocky said we could.
1: Oh, uh, That's super.
0: There are lots of things going on. I was thinking when I said uh, February, I can't believe the month of January has already gone by. We just started this
1: year. <laughs> Blink in February, will exactly. be gone.
0: Exactly. Um, there are several things going on. There's uh, uh, interesting talk coming up
1: in... Uh, Waco at St. Louis Catholic Church. Right. St. Louis Catholic Church is hosting Tim Staples from Catholic Answers. He's the director of apologetics, and he's going to be speaking at their lecture series on Wednesday, February 15th, from 6.15 p- p.m. to 8 p.m. at in the sanctuary at St. Louis on YB, YB Catholic. Catholic. Uh, yeah. it's and, and I will let you know, if you're listening to this station and you have other plans, Change your plans. Go see Tim Staples. It's a free talk there at St. Louis Catholic Church in Waco. And uh, 615 on Wednesday, February 15th. He is worth it. Well, if you've listened to our
0: station at all, you've listened to Catholic Answers in the afternoon, and he's been on.
1: Yeah, regularly. Yes, and he's he is fascinating. Very dynamic speaker and very energetic, very... Um, I hate to use the word entertaining, but he does. He keeps you on the edge of your seat. He has some wonderful stories and just wonderful truths to tell about our faith. So I would encourage anyone to go drop what you're doing on Wednesday, February 15th at 6.15 p.m. Get there early and uh, go see Tim Staples to hear Why Be Catholic at St. Louis Catholic Church in Waco. The thing I like about Tim Staples is he makes it understandable.
0: Whatever he explains— I get, which oh, means, yeah. yeah, people will uh, have no trouble understanding it, especially when he's talking about a topic like why be Catholic. It's we all yeah. sometimes just oh, yeah. are cultural Catholics. Yeah, and yeah, this is a
1: good reason to reaffirm exactly. And for any of you that are not Catholic in the Central Texas, even here in the Brazos Valley, and you want to know why us Catholics are Catholic, that's a great thing to do: is go to St. Louis Catholic Church. Once again, Wednesday, February fifteenth at six fifteen. P.M. St. Louis and Waco. And I would probably be
0: tarred and feathered if I did not mention (laughs) that this weekend on Sunday is the 75th diamond anniversary of our spaghetti dinner. Uh, This is a tradition that has been around for 75 years now. Yeah. And uh, it is a parish wide activity. Uh, Everyone gets together, and uh, I know they're right now making meatballs, Yep, and uh, they will probably need help Thursday and Friday morning to make sauce. So if there's any parishioners out there listening that have never had the opportunity to help stir Suga, here's your opportunity. But if you're uh, interested in buying tickets, the tickets uh, are $10 for adults and $8 for children. And you can get them either at our church office or from any altar society member.
1: And it's worth the drive from wherever you are to come because people from all around our community come. It's They feed well over 1,000 people. I think it's 1,200 plus.
0: Uh, yes. And uh, uh, the... Mm, Plates to go start at 930 to 2 p.m. And dine-in is from 1030 to 2 on Sunday, February 12th. So, um, please make your plans to be there. Uh, it's real easy. Just after mass, you go over there and get uh, in line. And uh, as I said, you can get your tickets from any altar society member or at the office. Um. They do have uh, opportunities for pre-orders for uh, meatballs and sauce, uh, and pre-orders have to be picked up by 2 p.m. on Saturday. They will not allow pickup on Sunday of the pre-orders. Right. So um, there's one other fascinating thing coming up at St. Anthony, and that is we are actually going to have relics from St. Anthony of Padua. Visit our parish. And this is fascinating to me because St. Anthony is our patron saint. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are actually going to have veneration at 3 p.m. on the afternoon of Monday the 13th, which is the day after spaghetti dinner. And uh, then there will be a mass at 6.30. And... uh, the whole notion of relics is fascinating to me because it is a reminder that we are part of a universal church. And it includes not only all the people alive right now, but all the people that were alive before. And, um, if you uh, have ever seen some of the drawings in the catacombs, um, that understanding has been around from the very beginning of the church that the people who have gone before are still part of the community. And this is why we have had relics in the altars of our churches to remind us of those early masses in the catacombs when they would say mass, even on a sarcophagus mm-hmm. uh, or rather a an ossuary. And so uh, we have that tradition that we remind ourselves that even if we die, we're still part of the church community because our soul is still alive and we will continue to be a part of that. So I encourage everyone, especially uh, parishioners from St. Anthony's, to make plans to come sometime between 3 and 6.30 for veneration and then stay for the mass because it is really important that uh, we remind ourselves that we are a larger community than just those of us that are here.
1: Hey, I have something else I could add. If you have a chance to get the copy of uh, this month's Catholic spirit from our diocese, Mary Walker, a wonderful friend of our station and an incredible writer the correspondent with the Catholic spirit did a great article on red sea Catholic radio and our expansion to Waco. And they interviewed us, um, the three of us, me uh, Thaddeus and Stephanie, but also use this as a feature on introducing people to Stephanie Lee. So if you want a chance to see a picture of two ugly guys, well, at least me um, and (laughs) and a beautiful Stephanie Lee, go see the Catholic spirit. It's a wonderful full page article. Thank you so much to our diocese for publishing that. And to Mary Walker for writing an incredible story on Red Sea Catholic Radio and our expansion into uh, other parts of the diocese.
0: And I think uh, it's uh, very nice to have the support of the Diocese for Catholic Radio because it is an important part of evangelization. It gives us the opportunity to reach out and spread the news about our Catholic faith Mm -hmm. to people that may not go to Mass on a regular basis or
1: are homebound and don't have the opportunity. Indeed, their their moral support and their spiritual support is is very valuable for us. I will let you know that we don't have their financial support. So those of you that are in the Waco area and the Bryan College Station area, if you uh, uh, can give to the station, we are listener supported. Uh, the, the diocese does not own or operate our station, so we depend on you, our listeners. So uh, feel free to go to redseradioorg forward slash donate uh, to check that out. And I wanted to remind everyone again
0: that this portion of the show is live. So if you have something going on at your parish you would like to talk about, feel free to give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, 855-683-7332. And um, we always look forward to listening to you. But the second part of the show is pre-recorded, so you won't be able to call in and talk to Tom Hoops when he's on, because, uh, again, we recorded that show earlier. Um, One of the other things that um, I wanted to mention is that um, a lot of things that are going on in our parishes um, require support from the community. And uh, for instance, spaghetti dinner going on at St. Anthony's, uh, these things aren't possible without parishioners supporting them. Uh, When we have our bazaars, the parishioners pitch in and help out. And this is an excellent opportunity for everyone to um, take part in this. So we're going to go to a short break, and then when we come back, we will be talking to Tom Hoops in the pre-recorded segment of our show. Welcome back. As we mentioned earlier, this part of the program is pre-recorded, so we're not going to be able to take any calls. I would like to welcome our guest, Mr. Tom Hoops, who's the author of What Pope Francis Really Said, Words of Comfort and Challenge. And Mr. Hoops is the writer-in-residence and vice president of college relations at the Benedictine College where he teaches the journalism in the Mass Communication Department. He also writes weekly for the National Catholic Register, and he reaches a national and international audience. His works also appeared in the Catholic Digest, Columbia Magazine, Crisis Magazine, and First Things Online. Welcome, Tom. How are you?
2: Tremendous. It's great to be here. So where are you located right now? I am looking out the window at a snowy campus. Actually, the snow is starting to melt a little bit here in Atchison, Kansas, right on the Missouri River. Uh, we're waiting for students to come back. Uh, the, the first day of classes is this week.
0: And um, over the break, and uh, this program is going to air first part of February, but uh, we're re- recording this right after the Epiphany during the Feast of uh The Baptism of the Lord, which this year, for some strange reason, falls on a Monday since Mary, Mother of God, was on a Sunday. So our calendar's been rearranged a little bit. But how was your Christmas break, and um, did you get some relaxation in?
2: Yeah, we got to um, go out to California, and um, I brought a bunch of case of what Pope Francis really said books out there. Um, So wherever I go, I'm trying to spread the good news, that Pope Francis is a pope who can be trusted and who is moving the church forward, uh, not backwards or sideways or any other direction, as some people may want you to uh, to believe.
0: Which answers the question I was going to ask. What was your impetus for writing this book? What were you trying to accomplish?
2: Yeah, well, I had a, I've had had a kind of a struggling relationship with Pope Francis, as many Catholics have, uh, partly uh, because things are being reported about pope francis that aren't really true taken out of context uh, but also partly because pope francis has a uh, a different way of speaking shall we say from um pope benedict pope benedict and also pope john paul ii were both uh university professors they were lifelong academics and when you're in a university environment you tend to train your brain to say things in only the right precise Certain proper way because people are writing down everything you say and they're later going to answer it on a test, right? Well, if you're outside the university environment, you have a looser way of talking. Pope Francis has a much looser way of talking. This all uh, started for me in his first homily. I remember reading his first homily online. I got a transcript of it really early on, and he was saying, uh, in the middle of his homily, a beautiful homily about how we need to put Jesus Christ at the center of our faith. But it was also, he said it in a very rambling, kind of impromptu style. And then in the middle of it, he said, those who do not pray to Jesus Christ worship the worldliness of the devil. Something along those lines. I'm, I'm not reading the precise quote. But I printed that out. I went over to our theology floor here and I said, did the vicar of Christ seriously just say, that every non-Christian is a devil worshiper. (laughs) Because that's the meaning of the words Mm -hmm. that he said in that homily. And they said, no, 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 no. You have to read it in context, understand that he speaks in hyperbole, and kind of figure out what he really meant. Well, that became kind of the hermeneutic of Francis, I like to call it, the way of understanding Francis. You always have to read everything he says, look at the context, and figure out what he really meant. If you do that, you'll find that he's uh, doing some wonderful things and saying some wonderful things. If you don't do that, you might be a little bit disturbed by some of the things he says.
0: One of the lines in your introduction in the book is, Pope Francis is a mystery. He is reviled by some as too willing to change the church and by others for being too stuck in antiquated doctrines.
2: Yeah, he gets a, a fair amount of criticism from both sides. I was reading kind of liberal media about him, and they were there were lots of articles whose theme was, "Don't be fooled by the hype. We can't trust this guy. He's he's really on the side of Catholic doctrine, and that's against us." And then on the conservative side, you're having people uh, say, you know, like uh, especially after Laudato C si came out, Laudato No, don't trust this guy. He's he's a socialist in disguise. Uh, I think though, to give a fair reading of everything that he said. Not just picking sound bites or picking misunderstandings of sound bites, uh, you start to realize that this man is not uh, radical in his understanding of the Catholic faith at all. He is—he's he, not a guy who who believes new things, but he is a guy who says things in a new way, so, which is what Vatican II has been calling the Church to do, in which John Paul II and Benedict started, but he does it even more so. He'll say truths from the Catechism in a startling, direct way that surprises us not by how odd his beliefs are, but how what the Church really believes turns out to be odd compared to what we thought it believed. Uh, And again and again, when you see troubling Pope Francis quotes, you can often find that what you're really troubled by is the teaching of the Church or uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ almost directly from the Gospels.
0: And that is something that really struck me reading the book is the fact that so much of what is controversial about what he says the way you've laid it out in the book is almost quoted from the catechism. Yes, he uses different words, but the gist of what he says is what the church teaches.
2: Yeah, you can almost uh, in fact I do in parts of the book put the catechism quote side by side with his quote and you see how is the, the the words are changed a little bit but it's the same idea. And this is So in the last uh, presidential campaign, uh, we had two candidates face off, one who was very scripted and very careful about what they said, and one person who kind of said what was on his mind. Now, I don't mean to compare Francis to Trump, but I do see the American people wanted somebody who they thought was speaking his mind, and they ended up choosing the candidate who they thought was speaking his mind. Well, I think that the Holy Spirit has inspired in Pope Francis— uh, an understanding that people want to hear kind of, you know, a more plain-spoken, non-scripted uh, person. That That's kind of where the public is at right now. And Pope Francis is definitely that.
0: One of the points you made uh, in your book is that your response to Pope Francis was dramatically different from that of your daughter, Cecilia you said pope francis's faith is confident like hers not defensive like mine how did you mean that
2: well i think catholics of my age i'm 47 uh catholics who have kind of been in the new evangelization movement if you will all of our lives we were brought in i was pers- i mean i was brought in when i saw pope john paul ii visit san francisco in 1987 uh we, the church was a new thing to us, the faith was a new thing, and immediately we felt like the faith was under attack. We saw people inside the church and outside the church who were against some of the fundamental things that we found beautiful about the faith. So we developed what I call a kind of post-traumatic uh, syndrome, post-traumatic stress syndrome, where We feel like we always have to defend the faith. We feel like somebody's always under attack. I was the editor of the National Catholic Register for 10 years, and I saw this again and again in the letters we would receive to the editor. People were constantly had this fear in their mind uh, that the National Catholic Register, that some bishop or some priest is going to, to turn against the faith. And so we've lived our life like that, where, where we feel like we always need to sort of uh, protect the faith, defend the faith, guard the faith. Well, our, my children and many of the children of people of, of, that we raised, uh, we who are in this kind of new evangelization wing of the church, if you will, uh, they haven't experienced that. They grew up with CCC videos, with Veggie Tales. They grew up with kind of breathing a culture in our little communities that believed the faith so they don't see the faith as something that they need to protect and that they always need to be defensive about. They see the faith as a sunny day where they can feel confident in the Lord. And that's sort of where Pope Francis is also. He's not hunkered down trying to be, uh, you know, the soldier who protects the faith, which without him would perish. He realizes the faith is much stronger than him, and he's just trying to move it forward. Uh, You know, like Scott Hahn said, it's the faith is a lion that you just have to let out of the cage and it'll take care of itself.
0: Do you think in part that has something to do with the fact that he is from Latin America, where there is such a broad presence of the Catholic Church in the culture?
2: That Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of the errors—not errors—, not errors a lot of the concerns we have, a lot of the things which strike us funny with uh, things that Pope Francis says and does are answered by this cultural difference. Even a lot of the problems we have with his economic stances are answered by this cultural difference. He lives in a place where capitalism is for uh, has been kind of for some but not for all where you have a a, a strict class structure, where you have the rich getting richer and the poor very much kept down. That's what Latin America is often like. So that's formed his his economic understanding. He also comes from a place where the Catholic Church is a given for many, many people. We come from a place where the Catholic Church is not a given for hardly any people and where capitalism is widely available for all. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect, and that was one reason that I wanted to write the book um, and What the book does is it goes through sort of ten hot button issues uh and tries to pin down where Pope Francis is on all of them. It starts with the economy, then it goes to abortion, it goes to homosexuality, marriage is in there, the environment, immigration, religious liberty. It goes through each of these issues to try to figure out why Pope Francis is saying what he's saying, and then, of course, what he actually is saying to start with.
0: One of the things that struck me uh, about uh, his view on economics, and this was brought out uh, originally when he, uh, in Evangelii Gaudium, uh, and Rush Limbaugh, of course, labeled him a Marxist, and then later on in Laudato Si, also to a certain extent. But again, his view of wealth is so solidly Catholic, and yet it's so misunderstood, the fact that ultimately everything is a gift from God, and we are stewards, and as stewards, we are responsible for our brothers. And that whole notion of uh, voluntary um, uh, realignment of wealth has always been part of his Catholic social teaching that we are required to use our excess for the good of others. And yet, when he says that, you know, this should be a view of Catholics, that he gets such pushback.
2: Yeah. Well, and ultimately, uh, the gospel is the thing which challenges us the most, much more than Pope Francis. I mean, the gospel says, "Woe to you if you are rich." It says, "It's harder for a rich man to enter the eye of camel into the eye of a needle than." for the rich man to enter heaven. Uh, Jesus Christ is very radical in his denunciation of riches. Uh, Pope Francis is also very radical. So is Pope Benedict, and so is Pope John Paul II. I think we forget that. Uh, Pope Francis gets a lot of attention for what he says about the economy because he says it a little bit more clearly, a little bit more loudly, a little bit more insistently, but the content is no different from the previous two Pope's when he's uh, talking about the economy. And I, the the brilliance of what Pope Francis is doing is he tries to take issues that the world has some understanding of and broaden them. So the world has knows that it's bad to oppress the poor. Well, Pope Francis wants to remind us not only is it bad to, uh, to oppress the poor, but each of us should be living a life of simplicity in which we don't hold on to riches, where we don't hold riches in the highest spot, where we don't hold money as the goal of our life, but hold Jesus Christ as the goal of our life. And in a consumer society uh, like the United States of America and much of the rest of the world, uh, it's a message that we desperately need to take to heart, and one that If it offends us a little bit, that's probably a good thing, because it probably means we need to look at our relationship with wealth, with money, and decide whether it's taking a higher place than it should.
0: One of my favorite parts of the book is you recount the story of the Mexican fisherman, and it demonstrates the totally different view that we have of acquiring wealth and the purpose behind it.
2: Yeah, that's a great story, and it's been retold and told a lot, so I can't uh, take credit for it. Yes. But basically, the point is the Mexican fisherman is able to fish a little bit, take a siesta with his wife. He makes enough to get by. Uh, the tycoon visits him and says, oh, you should uh, sell in the cities and sell in Mexico City, sell in Los Angeles, in New York, and get a, mul- you know, a multi-million dollar fishing conglomerate. And what would I do then, says the uh, Mexican fisherman. Well, if you're successful... You can take off time every once in a while and go fish with your wife and sleep and take siestas in the afternoon. So basically the goal that you get at the end of this wasteful, inno- the stressful life is what the Mexican fisherman has already. And this is, I, I really like that story too, because I think it speaks to the heart of what Pope Francis's message is. Uh, if you, you see it, especially in Laudato Sea. Si, he wants us to live the Beatitudes and take them seriously. He wants us to live the, message, the gospel and take it seriously. The way to do that means to have a simple life that's focused on faith and family and not to complicate it, going after— so idolatry is, is, is central to what Pope Francis sees as wrong in the world. We put things in the place of Jesus Christ. We put money or sex or power in the place of Jesus Christ, in the place of God— and the more we do that, the less happy we are, uh, the more stressed we are, uh, and, and, and that's not the way to live.
0: One of the things that um, comes out to me is that Pope Francis seems to have an intimate relationship with the poor. It's not that, you know, the poor are somewhere out there. It's that he knows them. And I think in a lot of times when he talks about the poor, we miss out on that sense that he feels one with them.
2: Yeah. And this is something we started to talk about a little bit before the show, but I went to a Pope Francis conference uh, where a bunch of leading Catholic thinkers were talking about Pope Francis. And... uh Several of them had all sorts of issues. They wanted to make sure that we were theologically understanding various aspects of what Pope Francis was saying properly. But over and over again, they said, but you know what? He has inspired me for the first time in my life to serve the poor. Uh, One person had volunteered with St. Vincent de Paul. Another person was doing another apostolate. uh, A priest was talking about the diocese that he comes from and how they're opening up old rectories to homeless people. But these people were inspired in their hearts by what Pope Francis is saying. And I found that the more you the more time you actually spend with people who are, you know, I'm in a university and we have we're blessed with lots of great students from Catholic families. And and it's great talking to them. You get a little taste of the real world that way. But then I go across the street and work at the parish and there you meet people from rural America who don't have the same understandings and don't have the same blessings that these great Catholic families have given these students. And you see where people are really at. And then I go downtown and help uh, in the various uh, Apostles for the Poor, and you meet another set of people. And when you meet real people who are really in these circumstances, you A, see the beauty of them and how they're not some kind of underclass that you need to fear or need to philosophize about. And uh, B, you start to realize just what your vocation is as a Christian, which is to help real people with a real saving message of a real Lord Jesus Christ, not to live in a sort of intellectual world where you're figuring out what your grace points are compared to what your you know darkness points are, and sometimes we we tend to turn Christianity into a head game where what Christianity really is is it's serving people where you live to help them better their lives and to meet Jesus Christ
0: and this links to where you were talking about the when then Cardinal Bergoglio spoke to the cardinals prior to his selection as Pope, and his speech challenging the church to go out to the peripheries. And I think this is, you know, so much about what we need to understand about Pope Francis when he talks. He's not just talking to us. He's talking to everybody in a language he's hoping they will understand also, the people that are out at the peripheries.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I call it the, the Francis option in the book, and I have written uh, in a, uh, additionally about that. People talk about the Benedict option, which I love, Pope, uh, saint Benedict was a saint who kind of did a tactical retreat. He didn't retreat from the world, but he stepped, took a couple of steps back to guard his faith and to build the faith of his community so that they could re-engage with the world. St. Francis did something very different. He went out into the streets, and he discovered his faith among the poor and among the people by bringing them a witness, a real witness of Jesus Christ. That's what Pope Francis suggested that the next pope should do when he spoke to those cardinals. Mm-hmm. That's the basis under which they voted for him, and that's the program that he's trying to uh, to, to, to play out in his papacy. He wants to show us how to be a real witness, to go out and re- meet meet real people, and to discover our faith in encounter with others. He talks about the culture of encounter a lot, and I uh, try to use examples of that from uh, the book. But that's where you go and you talk to real people about what their real problems are, uh, and you'll be surprised how the wisdom of the gospel uh, is very effective in real-life situations. Uh, not just in sort of textbook apologetics cases that you you work out online, but in in real conversation and real encounter with with, with people who are looking for some hope and some purpose in life.
0: And that seems to be a theme with Pope Francis anyway, is that we shouldn't focus so much on the broad strokes on the rules. Matter of fact, he got... uh, uh, much flack for that comment about small-minded rules but what he's really saying is that every person is an individual every situation is individual and we need to learn what the situation is and walk with the person rather than just right. focus on you know this is what the rules are so we're good
2: exactly now yeah and then i show in the book uh that pope benedict had said almost exactly almost word for word, well, concept for concept at any rate, what uh, Pope Francis said about small-minded rules. Uh, Pope Benedict, I can't remember his phrase, it was very much like small-minded rules. He said when you focus only on abortion, and he mentioned women's ordination and contraception, I think, uh, then people just focus on these hot-button issues and is this right or wrong, is this the other thing right or wrong. Of course, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis are pro-life and they're both uh, you know, for you know the ordin- cho- choice that Jesus Christ made in ordination, and they're for uh, they're against contraception. But what they want to people to focus on is not the hot button issues where they can debate you know these questions, but to focus on Jesus Christ, fall in love with him, and then. Uh, from love from Jesus for Jesus Christ, these other things naturally follow in a way that it's hard to get to them without love for Jesus Christ first sometimes. You notice that uh, people who become pro-life quickly become, often become Christian and become Catholic, and then one thing after another falls into place. Uh, this is what he has in mind. Falling uh, in love with Jesus Christ brings a whole lot of things in its train, whereas if you try to just get each of the things in the train individually, you'll find uh, a much less successful, much less fruitful effort.
0: And in reading the book, especially that part that you put in there about uh, Pope Benedict's comment that, you know, he can pretty much tell you the five things that people can want to talk about anytime they uh, talk to him, and the fact that there's so much more to our faith than those five points. Exactly. And uh, the thought that came to my mind is there's a term called affirmative orthodoxy. And this fits both Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, the notion that we need to talk about the truth, but from a positive perspective.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So it just like if you're uh, promoting, uh, if you're a salesperson, you don't sit down with somebody and say, well, first, let's address all the ways that this is going to make your life uncomfortable because you don't agree with everything that's going to be involved in this decision. No, you start out saying, here's all the ways that this product is going to serve you and be right for you. Now, when your product is Jesus Christ, there are going to be things that make somebody uncomfortable. Ultimately those will end in the person's happiness. So you can't really call them a product, but it's the same kind of pedagogy, the same kind of approach to teaching that you would use if you were promoting anything else. If you're promoting a candidate, uh, you, you promote the things which people are most likely to resonate with first. And when you're promoting Jesus Christ, the best way to start isn't to sit down and say, first of all, let me explain why uh, Jesus Christ is mad at you right now. No, <laughs> you sit down and say, first, let me explain how Jesus Christ will open up possibilities and vistas in your life, which will make you infinitely happy and will end in you being at peace and, uh, you know, let me give you this living water, as Jesus Christ would put it. And then from there, as they fall more deeply in love with Jesus Christ, all of these other things fall into place. I uh, remember somebody making the argument that they had never really decided, I'm going to read Humanae Vitae and argue each of the points out in my brain and decide which uh, is right and which is wrong. No, what they decided was, I love Jesus Christ, I trust Him, I trust His Church, therefore uh, the points in Human Vitae are probably true, and I'm going to have to figure it out uh, as best I can. But they entered in this attitude of trust, and that's what Pope Francis has when it comes to Jesus Christ. And that's what he invites us to— enter into the faith with an attitude of trust, not an attitude of skepticism and worry and contentiousness and criticism. Uh, And that's what I try to do in the book.
0: And I think you alluded to the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and Jesus's approach to her is so similar to what Pope Francis has been talking about in all these situations. Uh, First, you encounter the person and you form a relationship, and then You can discuss where you differ and why your way is the truth.
2: And you'll notice he even says, uh, you've had five husbands and the husband you have isn't yours now. And he he knows her conscience is going to pick up on that. He doesn't condemn her for it at all. I mean, obviously, he doesn't think it's a good thing that she's living with a guy who's not her husband. But he doesn't condemn her, he just raises the issue and lets her conscience do the work. Uh, And that's what we often do, uh, have to do with others, is raise the issue, don't hide the issue, don't pretend that everything's fine. But you don't have to push too hard, because their conscience will help do the work.
0: Speaking of marriage, uh, Morris Letizia, when everyone first started talking about this uh, Synod of the Family, and you heard a lot of things in the news about the church's position on uh, homosexuality was going to change, the position on gay relationships, and all this was going to change, and it was rather disappointing to some of these people that um, Pope Francis's position was pretty much orthodox in these points.
2: Uh, it definitely was, and there was definitely an expectation that it wouldn't be, and there was disappointment. But he, you you know, Amaris Letizia has become a little bit of a point of contention, and the church is sort of working its way through that. Uh, But Pope Francis has said over and over again that he not only uh, defends the indissolubility of marriage, he sees it as one of the chief fruits of marriage is the indissolubility. I mean, the the fact that marriage is indissoluble has helped countless more people than it has hurt. You know, when you hit that troubled time in your relationship and you say, well, I can't, you know, I can't end this because it's indissoluble. And then a uh, year and a half later, you find, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't end this. This is awesome. This marriage is, you know, marriages go in cycles like that. And Pope Francis understands indissolubility and he supports it. Um, He is also a huge fan of confession. In fact, you could see his whole papacy as a promotion of confession. He had an extraordinary experience, which I describe in the book, of the closeness of jesus christ in the confessional when he received absolution in the confessional and i think he wants to replicate that in as many lives as possible so he has these huge festivals where he asks the church to have 24 hours of confession uh he he has uh the year of mercy where he promotes confession he and he goes to confession publicly over and over again so that there'll be pictures of him going to confession he loves confession he loves absolution and I think it, what he wants to do with the Morris Lutitia is max out the number of people who can go to confession and receive uh, absolution. We talk about it in terms of going to communion, but I think he wants people in all sorts of uh, relationships to be able to go to confession and receive absolution. The Church is kind of working out what can and cannot be done in that regard, and ultimately I think the Church will come down on, you know, with, with the right answers she always has in the past— um, but you, just to describe where he's coming from, I think he's pro-indissolubility, he's also pro-confession and pro-absolution, and he's trying to work out both of those things as, as much as he can.
0: I think uh, f- from reading the book, one of the themes that comes out uh, is that Pope Francis is so desirous of keeping every one part of the family, even though those parts may not be exactly the same, but You belong, no matter who you are, you belong. And this uh, comes across over and over again. And so much of that is misunderstood that, you know, well, he's not judging, you know, the sin. Yes, he is. But he's saying that the person belongs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He has a very uh, family uh, way of dealing with things. When your brother or your father or or father-in-law is doing something that you don't agree with, you don't cut them off. You try to find a way to um, to make them better, to make them understand the truth, but uh, they're still in the family. And that's the attitude that Pope Francis has towards our relationships in the, in the church.
0: One story that you had in there is about uh, when he was still uh, the bishop in Argentina, the story about the woman that uh, was so poor and at times had to— uh, become a prostitute to make ends meet and her talking to him and coming back to him and saying that, you know, she wanted to thank him and he thought it was for helping her out with food and she actually said no, the reason she wanted to say thank you is because you never stopped calling me senora, that dignity of the individual.
2: Absolutely. And that's, uh, again, in my own personal life I've found that to be the case. When you talk about homosexuality, homosexuals or transsexuals or, uh, you know, it's easy to sort of turn people into a category or a label when you talk to the actual people themselves and understand, uh, try to understand where they're coming from, and you don't hide the truth of the church, you explain the truth of the church, you welcome them to the truth of the church, uh, then they feel much more respected, and you're. Uh, I, it's always surprising how there's a meeting of the minds. When people feel like you accept them as a person, they're much more able to hear the truth, even the painful truth, about uh, their act- actions than if you just define them by their actions, and uh, turn them aside. This is exactly how he treated the woman caught in adultery. He uh, said, neither do I condemn you, and then he added, go and sin no more. So I accept you for who you are. I'm not going to cut you off or or judge you, prejudge you, but I'm not going to hide from you the fact that what you're doing is is a danger either. When somebody's drinking poison, the charitable thing to do isn't to say, stay away from those poison-drinking people, they're bad guys. The charitable thing to do is go up to say, hey, I love you, buddy. That's poison. You better not drink it.
0: In a way, this uh, goes right back to uh, Pope Francis having such a confident faith. It's his belief that if we address people in honesty, in truth, and we trust that everyone has a conscience, they already know what they're doing wrong. It's if we accept them that they have impetus to modify their life. If we reject them, where is their impetus to change.
2: Right. So Mother Teresa said, um, you you can't love somebody if you're too busy judging them. And it's the same understanding. You have to accept people uh, where they are, who they are, and try to help them take a step uh, up and a step for the better, Uh, but only first by loving them and judging them. Easier said than done, Uh, but absolutely a vital message for the church today.
0: One of the other challenges I see with Pope Francis is his position on violence. It's so easily misunderstood because he's very much against war, and he several times has been quoted on saying things like war brings on war, violence brings on violence. But on the other hand, he's constantly telling the world something has to be done about the slaughter of Christians in the Middle East and things like this, and that we have an obligation to address violence. And how do you see his position uh, being misunderstood?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I've always found it odd standing here in the culture of death where uh, abortion is a big business that the government helps pay for, uh, and the big corporations like Planned Parenthood, uh, get donations for and that uh, and that so many Catholics are uh, sympathetic to abortion. That we stand in a place where there's all these deaths by abortion and look at other cultures and say, you're the violent ones. Pope Francis kind of has that same attitude. He understands that once we start criticizing the violence of others and excusing ourselves as if we're not guilty of even worse in a culture of death with abortion, uh, that, that, that we're going to miss an opportunity to uh, to be introspective and to change ourselves. Pope Francis, along with Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II, once again, are very vehemently anti-war. Uh, you can especially see this in the case of uh, John Paul II and Pope Benedict, who grew up in war-torn areas. And we think of World War II as the, um, as the The just war, which it was. It was certainly a just war. The Nazis had to be stopped. But what they see is that even in the best of all possible wars, that that war destroyed Europe. What followed it? Secularization, loss of the faith by just millions of people. Uh, You have a totally changed, secularized Europe that's a culture of death after World War II, partially because all of the old pieties got destroyed Uh, by this spectacle of of war. So uh, when we think about violence from an American context, we think of all the people we've gone over and rescued, right? When when people who live in war in in places where the war actually occurred, think of it, they think, oh my gosh, look at this terrible thing in my history that changed everything for the worse. Uh, And that's how uh, Pope Francis thinks of war also. His family left Europe because of war uh, he had to save people. There's a, a some great research that I was able to cite in the book about the people in the dirty war in Argentina that he uh, risked himself and risked his life, really, uh, and liberty to save and to, to smuggle out of Argentina when people were being disappeared and dropped from helicopters and all these terrible things. He So he knows that war – is not a rescue hero operation only. War is also a terrible reality that destroys the faith, hope, and love of the cultures in which it occurs. So he very much wants to stop war. He also very much wants us to stop throwing uh, rocks and, and and address the violence in our own culture before we uh, start uh, condemning other cultures for their violence.
0: I believe it would be a good uh, start just to acknowledge the violence in our culture when we talk about other people uh, yeah. being affected well, by uh,
2: it. Just to not give the wrong impression here, he understands – so, for instance, somebody asked him about uh, uh, Islamophobia and uh, this uh, fear of Islam. And he said, well, you know, the worst thing is Christianophobia and the Islamic people who are destroying Christians in the Middle East. So he recognizes that violence is bad in all cultures, including other cultures. Uh, But yeah, we we have a violent culture that we live in and we need to own up to that before we start uh, casting aspersions on others.
0: There was one other point I wanted to raise uh, in the book uh One of the other uh, controversies with Pope Francis is his position on Islam because he uh, does have a personal relationship with uh, certain Muslims, especially where he comes from. But I found it interesting that one of the quotes I saw in your book was, Muslim leaders must issue a clear condemnation of these groups. There needs to be an international condemnation from Muslims across the
1: world.
2: Yeah, he's been very fair. I think he's... uh He's not going to condemn all Muslims. He's also not going to give them all a free pass. Uh, he sees that there needs to be a better um, reaction to the violence in Islam from Islamic leaders. Uh, but he's also very much, again, a man of the Catechism. And Catechism 841 says that the plan of salvation also includes uh, the Muslims and uh, that they believe in the same God we believe in. Uh, so, If you're expecting the Pope to dissent from the catechism on something like Islam, it's not going to happen. And if you have a problem with what Pope Francis, his respect for Islam, well, then you have the same problem with Pope Benedict XVI, who worshiped in the Blue Mosque. You have the same problem with John uh, uh, Paul II, and you have the same problem with the catechism. So uh, Catholics need to understand Islam and understand what the Church teaches about it. Uh, and not simply react uh, to Islamic extremism, Uh, as hard as it is to see what happens with Islamic extremism. Uh, And like Pope Francis, we need to neither give it a pass nor uh, decide ahead of time that all Islam is bad, But, uh, but think with the church and believe with the church.
0: Excellent point. I wanted to close with a quote that you have in the book that I think sort of uh, articulates what we've been talking about very, very well. And you had a piece in the book about the difference between an article in Rolling Stone and an article in Time magazine. And you quote Nancy Gibbs, the managing editor of Time, in saying, in less than a year, he has done something remarkable. He has not changed the words, but he's changed the music.
2: Yeah, I love that quote. <laughs> He's uh, he's dancing to a little bit of a different beat, but it's the same dance that, that started with John Paul II. It started with Vatican II, really, or, or before that. I mean, this is the, 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 the teaching of the gospel. This is the teaching of the Church. Pope Francis is uh, bringing it into the 21st century, but he's not changing the fundamentals. Uh, and we can rest assured, I think, uh, after reading so much of Pope Francis, and I was as troubled as anybody else, I feel very confident, having written the book, We can trust this guy. And I encourage people to check it out and and see if they agree.
0: Right. After having read the book, I am just absolutely fascinated by how orthodox and how authentic Pope Francis is. And I encourage all our listeners to go pick up a copy of what Pope Francis really said, Words of Comfort and Challenge by Tom Hoops. Tom, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, Keep writing these good books
2: great. Thanks for having me. I'll do my best.
0: All right. Thank you for tuning in. Please join us next week on the Red Sea Roundup when our host will be Gene Wilhelm. Until then, when calculating the ways that you can help serve the people of God, always round up.